giving you five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you guys visit so well. All right. Before we jump into our message this morning, a couple of announcements. Uh, guests, if you're first-time guests, we have a gift for you there in the back. Grab one on your way out. Um, thank you for being here. Uh, tithes and offering, if you have a gift back at the kiosk, you can give there and online at lifechurchutah.com. And then I want to remind you about our library in the back. And I'm going to couple that with um, what you kind of see going on out here. We are moving towards trying to have kind of a coffee bar, espresso machine, lattes, and that kind of stuff. So right now we've just set up a little uh, table where we can take donations that go towards those kind of things. Because the hope is you come a little early and you get your coffee, you go back in the back where the library is, check out a book, see if you want to read one, sit on the couches, interact with one another, um, after service, go back there, check out a book. So if you like to read, want to read, the, it's slowly growing, we've had quite a few donations, so I know there's something back there that could bless your life. So head back there, check out a book, uh, you don't really check it out, take it, read it, bring it back, grab another one kind of thing. Um, and then this Friday is our trunk or treat. It's the big shebang. And so uh, it's exciting. I think it's going to be a good time. We're going to have a, a popcorn trailer. My cousin, she does kettle corn. And so she's going to be here. It's delicious. So um, we also need some trunksters, some people to decorate their trunks. Uh, we're a few short. So uh, if you would like to be involved, we have a sign-up back there because um, it is this Friday. So bring your trunk and your candy and all of those good things and, and come out and uh, be involved because we need help setting up, tearing down, uh, guiding people, directing people, and all that kind of stuff. So I encourage you to come out. Uh, we'll probably start setting up around 4, 4.30-ish because uh, we're going to start opening everything up at 5.30. So... Come out, be involved, bring your kids, get some candy, because it's going to be a good time. Now, today we are going to continue our look uh, into what, what is Life Church? What is our vision? What is our heart? What is our goals, our mission as a church body? Who are we? You know, last week we looked at how uh, God has given us a role as believers in leading other people to Jesus, that we have an active role in that, and we can't just sit on the sidelines and uh, be a bump on the log, but God has called all of us to get involved and to help, and we looked at the life and the story of Elijah and how God had used uh, big demonstrations uh, through Elijah to get the attention of King Ahab and, and the people of Israel, but no one's hearts were changed through those demonstrations, and he got discouraged and ran away when Queen Jezebel put a threat on his life. And God used, again, more demonstrations to grab his attention. He used wind that destroyed rocks and earthquake and fire. And God's word says that he was not in any of those things. And then there was a small whisper, and God was in that. And we looked at how 
God will use demonstrations to grab our attention, but change, a heart change, comes through the small whisper. It comes through the relationship, and that God has called us to lead people to Jesus. That is our mission statement. We're called to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus. God has called us to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus. And this was birthed out of basically Utah geography. Everywhere you go, there's a valley. The main campus is in the Salt Lake Valley. Tooele is in the Tooele Valley. And the hope is, as the church grows, as we expand, we start planting churches into other valleys. Cache Valley, Heber Valley, Utah Valley. So it's a statement that is universal that when we go to that valley, we're leading that valley to Jesus. And I summed it up with, it's on us to lead people to Jesus last week. You know, that we don't look for people's hearts and lives to be changed through the demonstration, but through us building that personal relationship with them. And we're going to explore this concept of leading people of the valley to be more like Jesus. And how do we accomplish that? What does that look like? What does that mean for us as believers? Remember last week we looked at a statement that Paul made when he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ, that this idea that our lives are constantly moving towards representing, reflecting Jesus more and more, that it's never we've arrived, but we're continually uh, moving towards that, and that we can, as we imitate Christ, we can bring someone alongside, and they can see that through our lives and the way we live, that they see Jesus in us, and they can imitate us as we imitate Christ. You know, so how do we achieve this? How do we get that character trait, those character traits of Jesus? How do our lives end up looking more like Jesus? This is what we're exploring over the next five weeks. And I'm going to give you a little sneak peek at, at what's coming up on the schedule. So this week, we're looking at our commitment to biblical truth. What does that mean for us? And then next week, we're going to look at innovative ministry to reach the next generation. And then intentional love of others, radical generosity, and developing healthy relationships. That as we take these principles, apply them to our lives, we will see God begin to work inside of us, change our character, and help us lead people to Jesus. Now, I'm kind of sad. She's downstairs with the kids. Because I'm going to tell a story that might embarrass my wife, and I wanted her to hear it. Uh, so it's just for you, for our ears only. So my wife, uh, she has a gift. But before I tell you the gift, I want to tell you a story. I want to take you back to circa 2002, when I was 20 years old. I was just a young punk. Um, I was in, I've talked about a couple times, I was in a program called Master's Commission. And uh, at that time, we were starting up our young adult program. And it was me and uh, a guy by the name of Jacob and Philip and uh, Derek. We started this thing. And so it's our first night. We're launching. And that fall, Allison's family had just started attending uh, our church. So she was coming to check out the young adult group. And so everybody's dressed up super casual. Jeans, tennis, hoodies, you know, t-shirts, whatever. And 
So when Allison and I first met, she was completely, it was love at first sight. Let's just be honest. She couldn't take her eyes off of me. <laughs> she thought I was dashing, tall, dark, and handsome, the type of guy that she always pictured herself with. Now you laugh, so I don't think you believe me. That's not very nice. But it, th that story's not true at all. It was, the other, it was the other way around. I was completely enamored with her. I thought she was the bee's knees, the cat's meow, the, the goat for those of you that do sports, the greatest of all time. You know, but she really couldn't keep her eyes off of me because as everyone is dressed super casually, I'm the guy that's in an off-white knit sweater, collared shirt, black slacks, and cowboy boots. Snakeskin cowboy boots, mind you. <laughs> so she literally could not keep her eyes off me, but I, it was more of one of those things like, I, I know I shouldn't stare, but I can't help it. <laughs> I can't pull my eyes away. So I digress. Um, through a series of events and stories for a later time, I was able to woo her, and we started dating. And I knew because I was... From the very beginning, I was like, I, I can marry this, this gal. So I'm getting ready to go on a family vacation, and I tell her, you know, I could really see myself marrying you. I just wanted to tell you that I love you. And she looks at me with all sincerity and seri seriousness and says, thank you. <sighs> Dagger. You know, like, okay, it's okay. She, I knew she wasn't one to wear her, her emotions, her heart on her sleeve, so it, it would come, it would come, um, and this enter her gift, or rather it's an insane ability uh, or patience, That's, uh, I, I lost my, the word I wanted to use, but her patience, we'll go to the mall, or to Macy's, or to Walmart, and We'll go, it's a, a birthday card, or a wedding card, or whatever, and we'll start reading cards, and I'll hang out with her for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and it's like, all right, I'm going somewhere else, I'll come back hour later, she's still reading, she'll read every stinking card in that area to find the one that says exactly how she feels. I'm the exact opposite. If it's remotely funny or even close to something I would say, I'm done. In and out, five minutes. If I'm there ten, I'm starting to sweat. I'm done. So, <laughs> the thing that's cool about it, though, is she, because she takes that time, she gives you those kind of cards that grab you at the heartstrings. So, a um, little you know, side note, to be completely open, I'm a crier. Um, if you give me a good Folgers coffee commercial, I cry. A good Hallmark commercial, I cry. You know, and so she, I think she finds joy in finding these cards that, you know, kind of give you doing that kind of thing. But the thing that's cool is it's expressing how she feels. It expresses her emotions that she can't otherwise say, herself. Even though she didn't write them, those words are coming from her heart. Do you know a person that does that? That takes the time to put that much thought? Have you received a, a card or a letter in that way? 
Well, my friends, that's what we're going to look at today. God's word is that for us. It is his personal greeting card, if you will, his personal letter to us. But instead of someone else writing it, he inspired it. And he uses that to grab our attention, to guide us, to lead us. We're going to look at our commitment to biblical truth. And as I was putting it together, I came up with this thought. Our commitment to God's word will enable and empower us to lead people to Jesus. That as we commit God's word to be an integral part of our lives, God will use it to empower us, to, to allow us to lead other people to Jesus. Now, it might seem like an obvious place for a church to start, that that's its groundwork, that that's its cornerstone. But sometimes things get lost. So we've come up with a statement to, to kind of declare where we are in, in Life Church. And it's this the scriptures, both the Old and New Testaments, are verbally inspired of God and are the revelation of God to man, the infallible, authoritative rule of faith and conduct. I'll read that one more time. The scriptures, both the Old and New Testament, are verbal and Verbally inspired of God and are the revelation of God to man, the infallible, authoritative rule of faith and conduct. The truth of the matter is this. We look to no other book to guide us. We look to no other book for salvation, for spirituality, uh, to help us navigate our lives. So we lean on the word of God. It is the final say. It is this book that God has chosen, the Bible, God has chosen to reveal himself to us through it. And any other book claiming that position has falsely ascribed itself that position. That is a place reserved for the Bible itself. No other book. Now, when we talk about the Word of God, there are so many translations. And I wanted to kind of give a quick history on translations. So bear with me through our history lesson. Um, the Bible originally was written in Hebrew, the Old Testament. And now as the, the Jewish people were conquered, they were under the rule of Rome. And so now instead of writing everything in Hebrew, it was being written in Greek. So the New Testament was written in Greek. And that, as the church expanded, this desire for uh, the word to, to be translated into different languages uh, grew because not everybody could read it. Now in... 382, Pope Damasus commissioned Jerome to translate the Bible into Latin, as that was the common language of that day. And the purpose of this was to get the Bible into what they called the commoner's hands. Everybody would be able to read this Bible. And Jerome wrote down one time saying, ignorance of the scriptures is ignorance of Christ. So his desire was everybody to know, understand who Jesus was. And this translation becomes and remains the main translation up until the Reformation, the 16th century. Now what happened? Latin slowly died because countries started getting conquered. Now the only people that can read the Bible are the learned people, the people that are the preachers, the teachers, the scholars, and the everyday person cannot read and understand it because it's in Latin. What happened is these scholars, these teachers, kind of grew an arrogance about themselves, that they were the chosen ones. They were the only ones that would be able to read and translate and teach people the Bible. 
Now we get to the Reformation where you have men like Martin Luther and William Tyndale who completely disagree with this notion that they believe everybody should have access to the Bible. So Martin Luther, who is a German, starts translating the New Testament from Greek into German. And at the same time, William Tyndale, being an Englishman, started translating the Greek uh, New Testament into English. Now, the, the scholars and, and everybody in Germany seem to receive Martin Luther better than they did William Tyndale because he goes on, translates the Hebrew into German, and that becomes the pinnacle uh, version of the Bible for Germany for hundreds of years. Now, William Tyndale, he makes his way back to England. When he arrives, he is detained, and they take his copies that he has made, and he has 3,000 copies with him, and they take and they burn these copies. They were so good at finding these copies that had been distributed that only two remain to this day. They burned all of them, minus two. Now, because he's afraid for his life, he flees to the empire of Spain. In Spain, in secret, he starts translating the Old Testament uh, Hebrew into English. He gets about halfway done. Because he's in hiding, he doesn't want anybody to know who he is. Someone recognizes him. They then take him out, and they burn him at the stake for being a heretic. And at this time, it's about 1534. King Henry VIII is now catching wind of this. And he's like, you know what? I think England should have the standard Bible for everybody. So he hires a scholar. He translates from the Hebrew, from the Greek, into English. And it is um, then given to him, presented to him in 1535 as the, the, the standard Bible. Now, fast forward to the 1600s. King Henry wants another, a new revision but this one he does with 47 scholars. And they sit down and they translate from the Hebrew, from the Greek into English. And by 1611, they have now created what we know as the King James Bible. And it is the standard for hundreds of years. We fast forward to uh, the 20th century. Now, it's being translated more and more into more languages, but we find in English that there are more and more English translations. The reason for this is so as language changes, because no one speaks like William Shakespeare anymore, they write it in a way that we can understand it. And as language changes, they, change, they don't change the meaning of it, but they help uh, translate it into a way that we can understand what it's saying. What's the moral of all of this history? God's word will not be stopped. God desired so much that, his, that people would know who he is. Men and women rose up, even though they feared for their life. Some were burned at the stake. Their copies were destroyed. They rose up because they believed that people should know who Jesus is. God wants us to engage in his word. And we see an example of this in Jesus. He did this every day of his life, whether it was instructing his disciples, confronting the, the scribes and the Pharisees, whether it was uh, comforting the woman at the well, whether, whatever it was, Jesus was constantly using scripture. And there's one count in John chapter 5 where he's talking to uh, the, the, the teachers of the law, and he said this, you study the scriptures thoroughly because you think in them you possess eternal life. And it is 
these same scriptures that testify about me, but you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. Here we see the function and the purpose of the scriptures. It's not to provide eternal life, but to lead us to the one who does and can provide eternal life. In this passage, we see two things that scripture points so clearly to Jesus that we should be able to see him in its pages. But the other thing we see is there are ways of reading the Bible that we miss the main point of the text. These scholars should have known. They should have recognized because they were watching for the Messiah. They should have recognized that Jesus was that Messiah. But the way they were reading them and interpreting them was causing them to miss that point. That same danger still is alive today. We can still take God's word and twist it to say things that it's not meant to say. We need to learn to read the Bible the correct way. We have a video here, and it's about a couple of people and the role that God's word has played in their life. Take a look. The Bible, to me, is a directional tool that I have to have every morning. And without it, I seem to stumble. It's what gives us our food each and every day. You know, we eat every day, and so we need to feed our souls as well. I'm a preacher's kid, so at age nine, I gave my life to the Lord. I want to be just like Daddy. I received the Lord as my Savior when I was a little girl, and I was so excited. I understand why the Lord says to receive Him as a child. Um, it's there, that's innocent, that excitement. There was a moment in my life where I walked away. The worldly things looked better. Not reading God's Word, not reading... Um, what he had for me and to help me grow spiritually or pray, I started stepping back from the Lord little by little and you, you don't realize it until you're completely out of the picture. I knew the Lord. I had joy in me that no one else can put in me except for the Lord. But when I walked away from him, that was gone. That peace was gone. Um, filling it with with stuff that wasn't correct um, sin after sin poor choices and the consequences that I put my family through because of those choices and not living a life of obedience to the Lord you know you always try to fill that void with with garbage that's what I call it now I thought it was love I thought it was excitement the thrill of going out doing things but it was emptiness, it was just a void. And I always thought, oh, maybe next time, that's gonna, it's gonna be the greatest time of my life. When I was a, a full-fledged alcoholic, I committed some crimes that were irrevocable. Uh, I'd done some damage to a past marriage, to my own child every relationship that was around me, I was just spinning out of control. You know, there's, there's two cautions when it comes to reading God's Word. The first is this, we can read into it. We can take the scriptures and read them and twist them to say what we want them to say so that we can justify behavior, so we can justify and live the way we want. 
or we can read out of it. We can read God's word with the heart and intent on being transformed. Second Timothy says this, every scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the person dedicated to God may be capable and equipped for every good work. This verse implies transformation, that that should be our expectation when it comes to engaging in God's word, that we're not to take and read into it what we want to justify actions, but that we are transformed that who we are on the inside, our character is changed, that our character begins to look like Jesus's. You know, Jesus's life was wrapped up in the scriptures. He used them constantly. I already referenced how he used them with his disciples and different people, but one that really stands out, something we talked about a little while ago, was when he was tempted by the devil in, in the desert, or in the wilderness, excuse me. And he used God's word to combat him. It is written that man should not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is written, do not put your God to the test. It is written, do not uh, worship anyone else besides God and him only. You know, just a few weeks ago, we talked about sowing and reaping and how I was going through a, a time where it was, I was like, I, I just, I can't, I don't. I, I just, I didn't have the energy. I didn't have the strength to make it through. But God, as I was praying, began to remind me of what his word said, that because I had sowed his word into my spirit, he began to remind me, it is written, you are loved. It is written that you are a victor. It is written that you will have peace. It is written that I will give you rest. It is written that I will give you hope. It, it is written. And that is what God's, what's what Jesus said over 30 times. Jesus started with, it is written. You see, the Bible needs to be a commitment that we make, that we are committed to biblical truth. Hebrews helps us understand why it's so important to do this. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says this, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom, we also, through, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. God has revealed himself through his son, and his scriptures lead us to him. They lead us to Jesus. So if we as believers don't understand, don't know, don't allow God's word to transform us, how can we lead people to that? How can we lead people to that, uh, to Jesus? Hebrews chapter 4 says this, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing even to the point of dividing soul from spirit and joints from marrow. It is able to judge the desires and thoughts of the heart. And no creature is hidden from God, but everything is naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must render an account. You see, God's word leads us to them, to him. You know, the same way that Allison's cards would show me how she was feeling for me, feeling about me. God's word does the same thing. 
he expresses himself. He guides us to his son through his word. But instead of getting the, the, you know, the, the gushies, the feel goods, you know, sometimes we'll be challenged. Sometimes he will challenge our character. He will stretch us. He will push us. He will uh, make us uncomfortable. But why? Because our character is being transformed. Our, who we are is being molded and shaped into what Jesus looks like. We gain perspective, transformation, eternal life through discovering who Jesus is. Watch this last video. I thought it was love. I thought it was excitement, the thrill of going out, doing things, but it was emptiness. It was just a void. Every relationship that was around me, I was just spinning out of control. It wasn't until that moment where I hit that rock bottom that I really realized how much I needed Jesus. How much that I am second and he has to be first. I didn't like who I was, so I started reading the Word of God because I wanted that to be in me. And I wanted that to come out, but... Sorry. Each day, I would sit down and, and read my Bible, but that longing that I knew when I, as a child was there in my heart. But through reading His Word, and through doing intensive discipleship and really focusing on what he has to say. It really transformed my life. One day I received a flyer in a, um, <laughs> at my door and it was for a church. I decided I'm gonna go to this place that I haven't been in 20 years. So I walk into this small little teeny warehouse of a church. And I remember when I walked in the presence of the Holy Spirit was in that place when I walked in and I knew what that was from the moment I walked in and God was relentless he kept on just pouring into me and it was breaking me completely and I remember um, him asking if anybody wanted to receive him as Lord and Savior and I don't remember standing up and raising my hand, but I was. <laughs> but that joy and that presence of the Holy Spirit was so overwhelming that um, I'll never forget that day. His love just poured into me. He ran to me, like, like the story does tell us about the prodigal. The father ran to me and he embraced me. John 10.10 comes to, to my mind. It says that I have come to give you life, life abundantly. So when I have that relationship on a day-to-day -day basis, my life is full of joy. Reading the Bible every day is important. Um, it's the foundation for the day. And, um, and sometimes I get an opportunity to read chapter after chapter, and sometimes it's just one small little verse. Um, but it starts my day with the Lord. We have to have that personal encounter with Jesus. It's something that's just grounded me to know that he is Lord of all. If we believe it or not believe it, it's the truth. The greatest time of my life is when he came back into my life. So I'll say one more time, 
Our commitment to God's word will enable and empower us to lead people to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you reveal yourself, your son, through it. And I pray right now for your people that are here, that are watching online. Lord, put within us, birth within us a desire, a hunger for your word, a desire to engage in it and to study it. That, Father, we would allow the word to transform us, to change us, that we wouldn't read into it, but we would read from it, and we would allow the Holy Spirit to come in and begin to mold us, to change our character, that we would reflect Jesus. And Father, in so doing that, that we would be able to be the light and the salt of the earth and that we would lead other people to your word, that we would lead people to Jesus. Because at the end of the day, Father, it is about you. It is about your kingdom. So I pray, Father, that as we go out, as we go into the workplace and into our homes and and to the the grocery stores or, or wherever we're at, as we read and engage your word, it would be planted into our hearts and into our spirits and we would be able to recall it. That our our speech would be full of grace and seasoned with salt. That we would know how to answer everybody. That we would be able to exemplify the love of Christ to all people. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you that we are able to study it and to read it. That people stood up and made it possible for us to be able to read your word. We bless you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. I have a reflection and a challenge for you this week. Here's the reflection. Think on what it means to trust God through His Word. Are you willing to read from it and be transformed? And then the challenge is this. If you are willing to read it and be transformed, commit to engaging in it. Just like Kiki said in the video, even it's a verse a day. Start there. You don't have to read an entire book or chapter. Start with something little. You know, a, a friend of mine, he's like, we, we've been reading, and he's like, to help me get through a book, if I sit down and try to read a chapter, I won't get it done. But if I commit to 10 pages, I find I slowly make my way through the book. Commit to reading a few verses every day and see what God will do through you with that. And I commit this to you. I commit to teaching you truth. To not skew or to make the Bible say something or to push an agenda or a thought, but to study, understand, and present you with what God's word, what God is speaking through His Word. Because at the end of the day, if we're not teaching the truth, no one's life will be changed. All right. I love you guys. I thank you for being here. And I can't wait to see you next week when we talk about innovative ministry to meet, reach other generations or the next generation. Have a great week. God bless.